Uh, we start a new series. Everybody ready for the book of John? I love me some book of John. Uh, as your pastor, I'm committed to teaching uh, us as the church uh, the scriptures, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. I got nothing really to share with you, Rick. There's not a whole lot going on in here that you need to hear, uh, but God has tons to share with us in his revealed word to us, and so it's my privilege every week to kind of um, walk through his word with us. Uh, I, I know this because in the word it says this in lots of different ways, but most pointedly here probably when Paul writes to his friend Timothy, he says, all scripture is God breathed out, or breathed out by God, excuse me, and profitable for teaching and reproof, for correction and for the training of righteousness or training us up in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, that the woman of God may be complete and equipped for every Good work. That's why we read. That's why we study. That's why I'm up here yammering at you for the next hour and a half. No, I'm not going to take that long. Anyway, so it is that we started uh, uh, one of my favorite books of the Bible. They're all my favorites, just like my kids are all my favorites. Uh, but I, I particularly uh, enjoy uh, encouraging others to read the Gospel of John. In fact, when I get the privilege of being there when someone puts their faith in Jesus Christ and they say, now what? I say, well, get a Bible. You got a Bible? And in that Bible, there's this great book. Usually, if you have it with them, I'll be like, start here. Read John, because John uh, has in it so many great things for us to, to learn and to see in the life of Christ. Uh, so I remember this one time, real quick story. I, I, I was there when a guy named Andrew, a good buddy of mine, put his faith in Christ. I told him to read the book of John, but I forgot the Bible part. I just assumed he had one. <clears throat> and so he went to Barnes & Noble, and he asked the, the clerk there, hey, can you get me the book of John? And neither of them were familiar with the Christian story. So they're like, I don't know what that is. So they looked it up online, and they produced from the, the Bible section a 900-page commentary in the Greek <laughs> on the book of John. It was like 80 bucks. And my buddy Andrew was like, man, this Christian thing is really expensive. So he bought the book and he brought it to our first discipleship meeting. And I'm like, what's that? And he's like, it's the book of John. I was like, no, it's not. Anyway, he's like, it's like, it's right here on the front. He showed me the cover. He was really mad. I said, did you keep the receipt? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, here's a Bible and here's the book of John. Anyway, it was fun. This gospel was written by one of the 12 disciples, an eyewitness. Uh, to, the, to the life of Christ, uh, a guy by the name of? Nice, well done. Um, of the four Gospels, it's, it's the latest in its, um, its writing. Probably in the 80s AD, uh, John penned this book. Um, it's unique from the other three Gospels. The other three Gospels are called the synoptics. It means that they optic look at things, sin with the same eye, to, synoptically. Uh, and, and lots of shared material between Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, but John uh, either uh, wrote uh, what he wrote as, as kind of a, an addendum or an addition, um, added uh, ideas to the things that already existed in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And he provides for us this really unique view of Jesus. If you want to know why he wrote his book, you've got to go to the back of the actual book in John chapter 20, uh, verses 30 and 31. He, he tells us why. He says this, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, myself included, John would have said, uh, which are not written in this book. I didn't get it all. Couldn't write down everything. But he says, uh, these that are written down for you are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew Messiah. He's the sent one of God. And not just the sent one of God, he is the son of God. And that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. That's why John wrote. Uh, 
Who remembers writing term papers? Some of you are still in high school. Maybe you're writing them, you know, recently. But anybody remember writing term papers? Anybody never want to remember writing term papers again? I've been told as a preacher that that's my job. I have to write a term paper and present it every week. It's called a sermon, right? Uh, but term papers basically start, just like sermons, a good one does, starts with this big idea or this thesis statement. And then it, it kind of goes from there. You, you, you start with what you're going to talk about, and then you talk about it. And so John doesn't do that at the front like we did with our term papers. He does it here at the back. And he says, this is what I wrote, this is, or this is why I wrote, so that you might believe. Now, that, that word believe there is the Greek word pistuo. Everybody say pistuo. Yeah, uh, pistuo is basically, uh, in this actual rendering in, in the scriptures, it's, it's translatable. Translatable? It can be translated. There we go. Uh, a, a couple different ways. You can translate it in the aorist tense, which basically says, uh, I wrote this so that you uh, might begin to believe or, or become believers in Jesus as the Christ. So if, if that's true, then John was writing to unbelievers, people who didn't know Jesus yet, right? And he certainly was. But it can also be translated, this Greek word, uh, in the present tense. The way it's written, it can be, uh, I, I wrote this so that you as believers can grow or, or continue to go on believing and, and deepen in the things that you believe. And, and that's a possibility. And, and so scholars have kind of argued back and forth, which is it? Was he writing to those who didn't know Jesus or those who already did? If you read the whole of John, the answer is yes. He wrote to both. And it's not a coincidence that this is basically what I've been telling you that the church is meant to be about for the last 2,000 years. Both. We are here to be a light in a world that desperately needs Jesus and to point people who don't know him yet to faith in him so that they might have life with him and live in his name. We are also here to encourage those who have found Jesus. It's about the lost and the found. And, and to encourage each other to grow deeper in our understanding of him. We uh, put it this way. Everybody say it with me. Ready? We live to glo- are you Are you doing it? Are you doing it? Because last service they didn't do it at all. It's really just, you know, it's just discouraging for a pastor to say. Everybody ready? And then, were you doing it? All right, let's do it. Are you doing it online? I hope you're doing it online. Just because you're in your living room in your jammies doesn't mean you get to skip out. Here we go. We live to glorify God by being disciples who make disciples. That's us. If you are a Christian and a part of Christ's church and you want to know what this is about, this is what this is about. You grow in your faith and then you go in your faith. That's us. In fact, uh, I, I don't know if I... I got going last week. I owe you guys like 15 minutes. I'll, we'll see if I, I give it to you. I'm not going to. But, uh, <laughs> but I was supposed to tell you this last week. And here's the two questions that I would love for all of us every day that we wake up this, this year and every year to ask ourselves as Christians. There's, there's two clarifying questions. The first one is this. How, as a disciple, how am I doing? How am I? Wake up every morning and before you, you know, head off to everything that your life requires of you that day, pause and, and ask God just like the psalmist did, see if there be any wicked way of me. How am I doing? A couple of things in that. What am I learning? How am I growing? What are the things? How am I moving forward in this faith? So there's a cognitive side. And then how am I acting? Is what I'm learning changing how I live? Because here's the problem with the church. We're great at learning. You'll come and sit and listen to me or anybody else and, and absorb. But does it make a difference? Is it changing? Like I, I was told, you know, most of my marriage that probably drinking Diet Coke like six, two liters a day isn't a good idea by my wife. I stopped drinking Diet Coke six months ago. 
she was right. I think I knew she was right all along as she was telling me that, but now I've experienced the benefit of that truth. Are you with me? So my question to you is, are you experiencing the benefits of the truths that you're learning? Are they changing how you live? How am I? The second question is this. As a disciple maker, who am I? Not who am I, like the existential you know, crisis, who am I? Specifically, who am I reaching? Listen, you know, I don't, I'm not saying you have to have a list of names and you have to text them as you know, soon as we're done here. I'm, I'm after you. I'm coming after you for Jesus. You might want to do that. That might be a great way to start the conversation. But you should have in your mind some intentional relationships where you're, whether it's a lost person who doesn't know Jesus yet or a found person who you're just pouring into. My, my son Cooper's 25 now, and uh, we've reignited our discipleship relationship. I meet with Coop on, on Tuesday nights after I get done, uh, you know, Facebook living you with my wife Eleanor. Uh, and we just sit down at the table and, and we spend an hour together going through God's word. As I was preaching last week and the weeks before that, that's what God impressed upon me. Disciple your kid. I know he's a man. Keep discipling him. He lives in your house. That's part of his rent. <laughs> no, he wants to do it. Anyway, uh, but who am I discipling? Who is God using me uh, to point to him? All right. So that's why John wrote the book. So that people might believe in the Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and uh, by believing, uh, live life in his name. So that's, that's the end of the book. Can we go back to the front of the book? Let's, go to the, let's start at the beginning. Anybody want to start at the beginning? It's a very good place to start. When you read, you begin with ABC. When you sing, you begin with Do Re Mi. That's bonus material. Anyway, uh, he opens his, his book with a, a prologue. Who knows what a prologue is? An introduction. Most books written these days start with that. Most movies actually start with kind of some backstory, some context. Like the Lord of the Rings trilogy, you know, great movies. Uh, they start with kind of here's the story of old that shapes what you're going to see. Anybody see the movie Up, the Pixar movie Up? I, I cry every time I watch the first 15 minutes, but it shows the whole story of this couple growing into old age and her passing. And Anyway. Uh, that's, that's what this is. It's, it's, hey, here's what you need to know so you can know. And what we're going to read in John's prologue is different from uh, the ways that the other gospels set up their stories. Like Matthew starts with the genealogy. It's no wonder because Matthew is a Jew who's writing to predominantly a Jewish audience. And it would matter to the Jews who had long awaited this prophesied Messiah to know the lineage from whence Christ comes. So that's why the genealogy is in there and also a little bit in Luke. Uh, Mark just starts, because it's a short book and he's just kind of, you know, giving you the, the, the highlights. He starts with John the Baptist. He doesn't mess with any of the younger years of Jesus. He just says, let's start with his ministry. Luke starts with Christmas. We just got done talking about that. And so he talks about the incarnation, the birth of Christ. But John, he goes way back past all of that. Past John the Baptist, past Christmas, past even the genealogies, the human origins of Christ. He goes back to the beginning of the beginning. And he does this because in his opening sentences, his first 14 verses, John gives us probably word for word some of the most densely packed theological scriptures that we have. He just, he just comes out, you know, Mike Tyson style. He's just swinging. And he's given us truth after truth after truth. So that from these truths, we could start building the story of Jesus moving forward. His, his main idea in these first 14 verses is this. Jesus is God. 
You're going to hear the story about this carpenter from Nazareth, but here's what you need to know about him. Couch everything in this. Jesus is God, not just sent from God or working for God. Jesus is God. The first verse alone could fill a volume, probably has somewhere, a volume of theological writings. Because it says this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Let's start with you know, that first phrase. In the beginning was the word. Is there another book in the Bible that starts this way? What other book in the Bible starts with in the beginning? Genesis. Genesis. Some of you read the Bible. Good. So the first book of your Bible starts with in the beginning. Would it surprise you to know that when the Bible books were written, they weren't titled? That came later when we actually collected all the books together. It's not like the right, you know, Moses, we think, wrote uh, the first five books of the Bible. But it's not like he sat down and wrote Genesis and he's like, hmm, Genesis. He just started writing as the Holy Spirit inspired him to. And so until, until there were titles in your Bibles, you know how the Jews would remember the scriptures? They would remember the first sentence of every book. So when you said in the beginning, a Jew thought Genesis. He didn't call it Genesis, but a Jew thought, oh, first book of the Bible. Let's go. In the beginning, I know what you're talking about. So no wonder then that when John writes this, he writes in the beginning. Because every Jewish reader would be like, Genesis? Are we going to hear like a, a recap of the first book of the Bible? No. He's putting Jesus into the story of creation. He says, in the beginning was the word. Well, this is a little play on the word word. Because in the beginning, how did God create? Words. He spoke. He says uh, several different times in that first chapter, and God said, first one was, let there be light. And there was light. In the beginning, the manifestation of God and his power and his authority was revealed through his words. And so it is that God's words have this weight. They actually are emblems. They are pictures of him. Just as Jesus being the word is an emblem or a picture or God himself. God spoke and things became, uh, there was no episode of how it's made for creation. Anybody ever watch how it's made? It's not like Discovery Channel or something. I like it. Eleanor's not a big fan. But I'll sit there and watch how you make, you know, Twizzlers all day long. I don't, you know, uh, Especially the food stuff. That's just fun. How do you take like this big vat and come up with this delicious morsel? That's great. Uh, But when it came to creation, there's no process. God spoke and it was. And so God creates creation by speaking things into being. Everybody with me so far on what John's saying? After that, God communicates with creation by speaking, by delineating his plans to them, whether personally like he did with Adam and Abraham and Moses and so many in the early uh, books of the Old Testament, or later in the story of of the Hebrew nation, uh, he spoke through prophets, still speaking to a messenger. Some of us would still love him to do that. And and, and just so you know, I believe that God can speak to us in our spirits and does to me all the time. Uh, I'm not saying that he doesn't speak, but he doesn't have that audible, recorded, added revelation to the Bible. He he does speak to us. Did you know the scriptures tell us very clearly that God speaks to us? It says long ago, this is Hebrews uh, chapter 1, it says long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. I just told you about them. But in these last days, in this age and era that we are living in, He has spoken to us by who? His son. 
whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom also he created the world. So this, this Jesus that John is introducing to us, he's the word, the communication of God to us. That's where he starts. In the beginning was the word. It probably bears mentioning here that um, he knew that the, the, the word was also something that had been thrown around the, the, the Gentile culture. There was this philosopher, uh, Heraclitus. He was actually an influencer of, of many of the other philosophers. Uh, he was the first guy who said, uh, when you step in a river, you never step, step in the same river twice. Ooh, think about it. The water always flows, right? Anyway, he, he was on to some things, and he was talking about cause and effect. And so he created this idea of the logos, from whence we get our English word logic, which is also the word translated in your Bibles, the word he says uh, that behind everything, there's a reason. He called it a God. He couldn't specifically label this force as the God that we know God to be. But in my mind, there's this cause, this logic, this reason behind the things that are. And so here's what John does, just for the sake of those scoring at home. He takes the, the Hebrew understanding of the word, God's speaking and his communication to us. And he takes the Gentile understanding of the word, this logic or this reason, and he sandwiches it into this one name for this one person. Our Jesus is the word. In the beginning was the word. There's another part of that statement that bears mentioning. Uh, and it tells us that Jesus is eternal because this word, this Jesus was when? In the beginning. Like in the beginning of the world? Yeah, but even preceding the beginning, he's eternal. There's no, well, this is the way Athanasius, one of the church fathers, uh, describes it. There never was when he was not. John goes on. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. He, he tells us that God, or Jesus, is distinct from the Father. He's with them. They are together, but they are distinct. And here we go with the Trinity. Can I just let you know right now, there's some great classes that my brother Travis is an awesome teacher of and other teachers in our uh, body are a part of that will help you understand these greater, deeper things that I can't spend three hours trying to explain in a sermon. But here's what we know about God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are three in one, right? And that's what this scripture teaches us. Jesus, the word, was with God. That word uh, with is actually the Greek uh, preposition towards. Most of the time it's, it's translated towards. So the word was towards God the Father. I love that because that brings out the whole understanding in our, and again, take these foundation classes. Go to the one that's, uh, there's going to be a, a seminar on February 13th. Is that right, Travis? I don't know. I think it's then. Sign up for that. It's going to be a great morning. Um, but uh, when we think of God functioning as the, the, the Trinity, he functions in this uh, eternal bear hug with himself. If I can put it that way, all the, all the explanations are going to fail. But, but, but Jesus is towards the Father. He, they, they are um, not just unified, like he goes on to say, I and the Father are one, I never do anything apart from the Father in the, in the reading of John. But he, but he also is, 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 he's not just in unity with the Father, he's in community with the Father, which is what we see uh, God desiring for his church, that we'd be in unity together and in community together. Are you, are you with me? Well, that, that was a unity community question just then. Are you with me? The word was with God, separate from him, but with him. And then he finishes up, in case you weren't picking up what he's putting down, with the whole eternity thing in the beginning, 
in the whole name ascribing deity, the word, right? In, 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 in him being with God, uh, he says, and the word was God. Jesus is God. That's what John's opening with. Hey, Jesus is God. Now, I know some of you are sitting here and be like, yeah, yeah. We're, we're all with you on that, Mark. Get on to the next stuff. Don't miss this. Huge implications. Let, let, me, let me get what uh, he, he says next. He says, in case you were uh, unaware, he says in verse 2, <clears throat> let me recap. He was in the beginning with God. He just basically says what he said in verse 1, just in another way. Is everybody with me on that? But, but his point is, Jesus is God. And again, I see most of you nodding your heads. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate that. Yeah. But what, what are the implications of that truth? How does it affect how we live when we go to high school or wake him up, wake him up? Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> or when we do whatever we're doing? <laughs> I love the guy. He knows all of them. All right, anyway. Here's what, here's what it means. If this is true, and it is, that Jesus is God, then we worship Jesus without cessation. No matter what's going on in our news feeds, no matter what fears are being born in us because of pandemics, we, as followers of Jesus, give him our adoration 100% of the time, 100% of the way. We worship him without cessation. We obey him without hesitation. This is going to sound really preachy, but stay with me. I really like it. We love him without reservation. And we serve him without interruption. That's what the Christ follower does. If Jesus is God, then we worship him. We love him. We obey him. We serve him. We trust him. Ah, oh, what a timely message. Because I don't know about you guys, sometimes I watch the news feeds and I'm like, hey God, what's up? Things like getting a little out of hand out here. I've been praying. This has lasted way longer than I thought. Anybody been with me on that one? Yeah. But here's what I think God's doing in this season of our history. You trust me? I mean, I know you trust me in the first month. Third month, sixth month, heading into a year. Still trust me? Are you obeying what I told you in the scripture to do? That like everybody else who went through, by the way, far harder things than you and I are going through? This great cloud of witnesses, as the writer of Hebrews refers to them being. Since we got this great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders Let's get rid of, hey, let's turn the news off. Let's, let's just, and I'm not saying stick your head in the sand. I'm not saying that. I'm saying don't be controlled by anybody but Jesus. Let's throw off everything that hinders, the sins that so easily entangle us. Let's run this race with perseverance that's been marked out for us. And let us, here's verse 2 of Hebrews chapter 12, let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. It's the call of the Christian. Why does it matter that Jesus is God? Because if he's God, he's all that matters. 
It goes on. John says, Jesus is creator God. Look what it says in verse 3. It says, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That sounds kind of redundant, but he's being very careful here. Did you know that there was some really harmful heresies going on in the early church when John wrote this that basically said that, you know, yeah, Jesus was, was here, but he wasn't really God. He was just a man that God used. Or that if Jesus was God, he created, but he didn't really create from ex nihilo, from nothing. He created from a bunch of stuff that always was. Sounds a lot like our theory of evolution. There's always stuff that has been, and they just kind of bounced off of each other to the point there was lots of explosions, and then billions of years move forward, and here we are, right, using cell phones. But it's kind of, you know, it's the base of that. There's just, we can't explain how things have always been, but they've always been. And what, what the Bible says and what John is trying to affirm here is that, no, 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 things haven't always been. They were created by Jesus, the creator God. All things were made through him. And there's nothing that's been made that wasn't made by him. Uh, this is really important. Because it reminds us that if, if Christ is God, everything depends on him. The existence of everything and the sustaining of everything depends on him. He is the sustaining and upholding principle in our universe. But it also lets us know that Jesus is separate from his creation. This is big, especially for our New Age friends, our Hindu friends, our Buddhist friends who see pantheism in the world. They see God as being in that tree or being in that cow or being a part of the cosmos. Certainly, God is able to be seen, Romans 1, in creation, but he is not creation. He is personal, separate from creation. In the, in the person of his son, Jesus, God created everything that is. Ain't nothing that is that wasn't created by him. He goes on and he tells us Jesus is the life. <laughs> Maybe some of us need a vacation right now. Anybody ever been on vacation? You're like three or four days in, and you're finally, de, you know, defragging. You're, you're, you know, you're, you're detoxing from work and wherever you live, and you're in this, you know, serene, idyllic scenario. My wife loves the beach. I'm not so big on that, but, but, uh, uh, you know, maybe you're 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 hanging out. Like I, I go on golf trips every once in a while with my friends, and and you just kind of hit that moment where everything's right. You just hit a perfect drive, you know. You just totally, you know, uh, you know, uh, had a good one over on your friend. You made fun of him. That's probably not a good part of the story. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but you're just kind of sitting there and you're thinking, man, this is the life. Anybody been there? This is it. I did all those things at work and everything else so I could get to this moment and in this place with these people. This is the life. And I'm not down, please enjoy parts of this life, but never confuse any part of this life with the life. Because here's what the Bible says through John. It says that Jesus is the life. In him, verse four, was life. And this life was the light of men. Jesus is the life in a physical sense. Everybody gets that you're here, not because of what we learned in health class and mom and dad and all that stuff, Ultimately, you're here because God created here and he ordained, appointed that you would be here. Does everybody get that? So Jesus gave us life, just like he gave the first man life and, and created from that first man the first woman in life. He is the giver of physical life. He's also the sustainer of, of physical life. He tells us in Acts chapter 17, as Paul was there in a place called Athens, heard of it? Georgia, Athens, Georgia, no. 
Athens, Greece, and, and he was hanging out with, in this, uh, this place of, of deep thought with all these philosophers in that capital of the, of the Greek uh, world. Uh, he says, hey, I see that you got this God you don't know the name of. Can I tell you who, is, who he is? I'll, I'll let you know who he is. And he just starts to describe Jesus. And he says, in him we move, we live and move and have our being. He was basically saying, in him we have life and in, in him we continue in, life, continue in life. Every breath we have, everything that we are is from him and for him. But Jesus didn't just give us physical life. He, he came to earth, put on skin, uh, lived, died, rose again, so that we might have spiritual life through him. We are all born dead spiritually. Dead in our trespasses and sins, it tells us in Ephesians 2. And we remain so uh, un, until we put our faith in Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus came. He came so that, in, like he does here in this book, in chapter 14, verse 6, he could tell his friends, hey, man, I am the way, the truth, and the boom. And no one gets to the Father except through me. I came so that I could show you the true way to life. It's through faith in me. He came not just to show us that initial <clears throat> passing from death to life, salvation choice that each one of us has to make by faith. He came so that after that decision, he could provide for us this life to the full that no one else can give us. In John 10, same book. Great book, this book, John. Have I mentioned that? Jesus is teaching and he says, listen, the thief, and he's referring to his, our enemy, uh, Satan. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Uh, the thief, this Satan, is the prince of this world. And so under him are all these ideas of what the world says are, you know, the, the things to achieve, the things to, you know, run after. This is how you're going to have a full life, the world says. But Jesus says, or yeah, Jesus says this as he's teaching. Hey, man, that stuff, it's just going to take from you. He says, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Some of my um, error-prone Christian friends have taken this uh, verse and others like it to say, well, God wants us to be rich. He wants us to have several vehicles and lots of houses, and he wants you definitely from that uh, to give to me, pastor, you know, deep pockets so I can have a plane. Uh, that's not what this verse is saying. What this verse is saying is that any other life, or, or, let, me, let me put it to you this way, any life lived without Jesus as its ultimate aim is lacking. How many times have you seen this? That someone in the world has everything and has nothing. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to give us life. But Jesus isn't just eternal. He's not just the word of God, the very communication of God to us. He's not just God. Just God. He's not simply God. He's not just our creator. He's not just our life. He's the light of men. Jesus is the light of men. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In a few verses, uh, we'll cover these in greater depth next week. Jesus, uh, John says this about Jesus, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Jesus, when he's teaching later in the book, says, uh, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. There's so much to say about the light. The Bible's just full of um, this tie-in. Like what was the first thing that God created? Anybody remember in the beginning? Uh, God said, let there be what? Light. And everybody understands that he wasn't saying let there be the sun, the planets and the stars. Those came later. He was basically bringing to creation this creative act of his, his own glory. 
Let my light be manifest. And we see his light manifested all over the scriptures. Like every time he shows up or his messengers show up, people have to squint. His glory, his light shines through him and through those that he sends. One of my favorite songs of the past, it's probably 20 years now, has this refrain which is taken from Psalm 104. He wraps himself in light and darkness tries to hide and it trembles at his voice. Love that line. But that's the truth of this Jesus who is God. He's the light of the world. So much to say on this subject, but let me just give you three things as we finish up here. First of all, what John tells us is that uh, his light reveals our mess. Look at the next verse. Verse five says, um, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness. So this is my favorite flashlight ever. One of the former elders in my church in Dallas works for this company. He gave this to me for free. It's like, it's my favorite gift ever. Not, not true. It's, it's a cool one though. And I use this for all kinds of things. Like if you watched our video last week, uh, I, I, you can, this is metallic. So I, I put this on the, the bar of the, of the um, what's that thing I built? The dock, yeah. And uh, we sat out there and, uh, and this lit the video. It's really great for that. But you know what else it's great for? If you can't find something, it's great to like really see things that your regular eye can't see. It's, it's like going to the dentist. Who's been to the dentist? Anybody been to the dentist? They got a big light in that, in that chair, right? They set you down in that recliner or whatever. That's supposed to make you feel comfortable. But, uh, but then they put this halo light around your face and they just shine it into your lips until they can see all the plaque they got to scratch off, right? I mean, that's the whole deal. Because you brush and you feel like, man, my teeth look great. And then you go to the dentist and they're like, man, your teeth are a mess. That's what Jesus is. He's a light like that. He's an exposer of flaws. So here's the deal. You can fool me. You can fool the people sitting next to you. You can make them think that you're just all that and a couple bags of chips. But here's the deal. Jesus sees you. Jesus knows you. And we love to talk about him being the lamb and the grace and all those things. He's the lion. He's a, a God who um, uh, exacts the wrath that those uh, choices uh, entail. Hmm. Be kind of a bummer if that's all he was, that kind of light, the light that exposes, right? But that's not where he stops. Anybody grateful for that? He's not just the light that shines on your mess. He's also the light that points the way out. Ever been in this situation? You're in this dark room, and probably not one of these, but like your, your phone light, right? You're just trying to find the light switch. Anybody been there? You're like, I know there's a light switch. It's usually by the door. Wow, well, why wouldn't they put it by the door? Where is this thing? You know. Some of us go down to the basements of our parents' houses. They get the pole, you know, and... But these things are handy, you know, if you can just see... This light will lead you to the light. That's who Jesus is. He's the light that leads you to the life that only he can give. He's the light that leads you to the light of your salvation. His light points us out of the mess. And here's my favorite part. Verse five, if you can put that back up there for me, it says this, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Some translations, maybe you're reading the NIV, it says the darkness has not understood it. I like overcome it better. The actual Greek word here is katalambano. It's a fun one. And it means to oppress or to come against. And so they put the negative, uh, you know, hude in front of that in the Greek, and it means this. 
The darkness cannot come against the light. Okay, if you didn't hear anything else I've said so far this morning, tune in now, because this is the encouraging part. Are you ready? Jesus wins. Every time, Jesus wins. And the testing of our faith in the times of trouble, what he's trying to get across to us is you can stick with me, you can trust me because I win. The light has come into the world, but the darkness has not, is not, and will never overcome it. That is what we believe. Now, I'm not saying there's not going to be hard things that come to your lives. I'm not saying it's not going to be difficult sometimes, but I am telling you that Jesus always wins. The darkest day this earth has ever seen was Good Friday, the first one. Jesus dies. He's put in a tomb. There's 48 hours where all of those who had followed him, all those who had expected him to free them from the tyranny, not just of Rome, but you know, they had understood in a spiritual sense that this guy was the guy. He's going to lead us to the light. They were lost broken, hopeless, and then Easter came and Jesus pushed the stone out of the way and he walked out of the grave and he won what we thought was a loss was the greatest victory that's ever been brought to the planet. And this is who we serve. So I have to tell myself this when I'm reading the fifth news strand of all the craziness that's going on in our country, when I'm, when I'm reading the statistics of how it's spiking again, when I'm weighing the emails from the people, it's a hoax, it's worse than you thought. In the middle of all that, of all the crazy, is Jesus who wins. Amen. I'm out of time. Uh, I'll just finish this way. Verse 6, it tells us this. Uh, It kind of goes to the story. He he pulls out of the theology and he says, hey, let me start the story. He says, there was a man from God, uh, sent from God, whose name was John. John the Baptist, not John the Apostle. And John the Baptist came as a witness, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He he was not the light, verse uh, 8 says, but he came to bear witness about the light. Now, I've read this chapter, I don't know how many times, preached it a few. I've always wondered, why, as he's got this great role going, this great theology just being unfolded, why does he stop here and start talking about John? Well, it's because he doesn't want us to miss the point that once we've found the light, we're the reflectors of the light. Jesus has called all of us, he's made all of us to be reflectors of his light. He says as much, well, often here in the book of John, but he says as much in Matthew as he's teaching a bunch of guys on the side of a mountain. He says, hey guys, Just so you know, you are, Matthew 5, the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. That's you. You're you're supposed to be this light that cannot be hidden. He goes on and he says, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but you put it on a stand. How dumb it would be for us to, you know, have this flashlight, turn it on, and leave it in our pocket. What a dumb thing to do. I mean, cool, I got a glowing, you know, left cheek now, but, but what a dumb thing to do. It's not the point of the light. The point of the light is to shine. The point people in the directions that they can go. He goes on, he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is heaven. Uh, we're going to talk so much about John in the months to come, in the years to come. It'll take us a while. But I'm so excited 
to sit, you know, shotgun with someone who was with him, who watched these things happen, who shares with us these all-important truths. What I want to leave you with today is that we are the light of the world now. Jesus remains the ultimate light, but we're the carriers. Remember that song that we used to sing when we were kids? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Stand with us. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Let it shine. Hide it under a bush. Hide it under a bushel. Nope. I'm gonna let y'all know how to sing that song. Come on now. Hide it under a bushel. No. I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. I don't want to be weird. Everybody put your light up. Let's pray. Hey, God, we're just holding the finger up in the air like this, but uh, we recognize uh, in this moment that uh, you are the light and that you've called us who have received you and are in the light uh, to shine in your name. So, God, as we leave this place, take us deeper into you, shine brighter in us, and then take us into those relationships that you've given us in this life and let us shine in those relationships so that people can know and follow you and have life in your name. That's my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.